you are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. How can you not be romantic about baseball? You're listening to On the Mound with Max Tanzer, Matt Salsler, and Tommy Muma on BIC Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of On the Mound here on BIC Radio. Opening day was this past Thursday. We got a lot to talk about. Matt Salsler here, joined by Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma. And guys, before we dive into the X's and O's and Y's and Z's, what are some of your initial thoughts from opening day? It was fantastic. I mean, we've been waiting for this for so long. It was so great to see fans in the stands, too, even though it was only, you know, as much as, what, five to 9,000 in some ballparks. It was so great to have that ambiance back, get to see the visuals back, and get to see the fans enjoying baseball again. Uh, but also really fun to see players in their new uniforms. It really is a magical day. That sounds so cliche, but it's just so meaningful. You know, it in retrospect, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose, but it's special to win an opening day, and I think, I think those games do matter, and I think there is sort of a pride that comes with that. Uh, so, again, a fantastic opening day, and it was super special to be able to watch it yesterday or I should say two days ago I agree it was a great day all around like you said to have fans back in the stands was great and it felt like opening day last year in July it just didn't feel the same empty ballparks and you know starting the season midsummer. but yesterday was great had a full slate of games well minus a couple that got postponed but just a great day all around and going off of that guys um Tommy, you mentioned a full slate of games. I know you're a Yankee fan. Other than that extra inning loss, and we can talk more about the circumstances under which they've lost, like we did a pre-show. You're very passionate about that. But other than the Yankees game, what was your favorite one? That was tough. It would have to be the Mariner one for (laughs) sure. Their extra inning walk-off. I mean, they were down 5 nothing, and then come back, and I know Max wants to talk about that, but... What a great game that was to be down and then come back and win in extras. That was great for them. Yeah, that <laughs> I don't even know how to explain my emotions going on through that one right there. Number one, it was so late at night, of course, 10 Eastern time because we're on the East Coast. Uh, let's just get right into that. Then we can go over our favorite teams. I have some other games I think we should talk about as well. But what was wild about that one is is that Kevin Gosman was dealing. I mean, it, I don't want to say he had perfect game stuff through the first time through the order, but through the first three, four innings, he was like at 35 pitches. The Mariners didn't have a hit, and it took Kyle Seeger double somewhat against the shift to uh, break that up but still he was so efficient the Mariners are very aggressive and that was what was difficult to watch about it because you're getting into the fifth or sixth inning and he has 55 pitches or so and it's scary because it's like all right I know the Giants have a weakness in the pen but we're not going to get to that pen because Gosman is in such good shape with his pitch count Uh, and then he lasted six and two-thirds of an inning it seemed like he started to fatigue a little bit a couple more walks some really good at-bats from Jake Fraley drawing those walks and drawing that pitch count up just a little bit. Um, and then I think Gabe Kapler took Gosman out just because it is the beginning of the season. You're not trying to throw 110, 15 pitches or so on a guy in his first start of the regular season. Uh, and then the Mariners get into the bullpen. The Giants' bullpen walked seven batters in the final three, four innings or so, and I think that was the biggest key. In many ways, I think the Giants handed the Mariners that game. I'll be 100% honest with you. There was that big error with Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford. How many times have we seen that before? Brandon Belt 
in Brandon Crawford, one of the best shortstops defensively of the last decade, making a mistake like that on a double play, a 3-6-3 double play that they've probably turned thousands of times in the past. Uh, but the Mariners took advantage of it and were able to win such a big game. I know you were watching it too, Tommy. I was freaking out. It was wild. There was so much stuff going on. Well, because you don't have much else to freak out about. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong right there. You know, I was excited to see the Mariners doing well. And we were a fun, exciting team. And hopefully uh, that could help out the chemistry in the clubhouse. I've heard it's very good so far. Again, it seems that's always the case on opening day. But uh, a very young team. Taylor Trammell was very impressive. Didn't pick up a hit, but it was his major league debut. Threw out a runner at second base. And the thing about Taylor Trammell is one of the knocks on him coming up through his development stages was that he didn't have a strong arm. And the first actual impact he makes in a major league baseball game is throwing out Evan Longoria at second base from deep right center field, which was pretty cool to see. But the biggest thing that jumped out to me was the professional at-bats he had. One of the biggest concerns in spring training, even though he was doing so well, he was exceeding expectations, was that he wasn't ready for big league level pitching, couldn't handle velocity and so forth. And they thought the strikeout numbers would be high, very similar to what happened to Evan White last year. Uh, but he had some really professional at-bats. It was like a seven or eight pitch at bat with the bases loaded back in that eighth inning in which the Mariners climbed back into it and then another walk back in the 10th inning as well and that's what you want to see from young guys being able to see that discipline being able to see professional at bats quality at bats and really all around the Mariners had quality at bats one through nine in the lineup I would argue at the same time to be devil's advocate that the Giants bullpen was atrocious last night could not find the strike zone so it may have not been difficult to draw walks but it's definitely a good sign to see for sure yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, Max, there. I think from the few innings that I listened to, actually, because uh, getting MLB.TV on quick notice and trying to go through all those bells and whistles that they make you do in order to get the student discount, I just figured, you know, turn on the radio, listen it's to it best. while going to bed, like old time's sake. It's better anyways. Like It is. You know, would you rather, would you rather uh, watch the game while your eyes are slowly fading back, or would you rather, like, listen to it? I think personally think it's so much better. Um but yeah, I listened to the uh, Trammell uh, outfield assist, and that was exciting. But yeah, one thing I noticed, and you mentioned the command issues of the Giants' bullpen, and this happened across the few games that I tuned into, whether it was listening, watching, or even on the live stats. Command. Mm -hmm. I think a bigger issue on opening day this year than we've seen in the past. Definitely, and I think the big thing that jumps out to most guys is it's the first game of the year, but generally speaking, you're right. It wasn't as absurd as we saw it yesterday, particularly in the Mariners and Giants game from that bullpen, just because, you know, you could argue these guys haven't pitched in a high-pressure situation yet. It's their first one. And look, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say the Giants bullpen is going to you know, pitch like this every single day. It's one game. It's one game. But if you're Gabe Kapler and the Giants organization, you've got to be a little disappointed with what happened last night just because they had that game. It was 6-1 in, what, the eighth inning, I believe, and the Giants handed it to the Mariners with all the walks, with the E3 on Brandon Belt as well, which is very disappointing. But I will say this. The Giants are a very good team, and it's one game out of 162. That game yesterday, or I should say on Thursday night, means nothing. It really doesn't. It's great for the Mariners. I'm super excited, but you know, you got to finish the season. That's the most important part. I think what a lot of people forget, and I think arguably one of the most important parts and important tools for a Major League Baseball team is being able to be durable, one, but also being able to battle the longevity of the season and to finish. There's so many times when you see teams who are very good through the first four and a half months or so, but can't finish that last back month and a half. And I think that's why 
you can't let opening day judge everything for you, both on the positive and the negative end. Yeah, I think you're getting somewhere, Max, but I also think from the Giants' sake, every single year, teams make lists of games that could have gone either way. Yes. And the Giants have already started adding to that list, and <laughs> we're not even, what, two days into the season? Because in September, in October, if they're in any kind of chase, no matter what it's for, this game's going to be on the list saying, get that standings could look different now obviously we talked about this prior to the season the nl west is pretty much a foregone conclusion however given the yeah. way that they both those teams played yet uh, on opening day i might be eating my words here but these games even though opening day doesn't matter in terms of the standings because again it's one out of 162 a team could go 161 and one and opening day doesn't matter and i think that when you look at it they could be looking back at this game and thinking that could be a problem or, oh, I'd like to have that one back. But in the grand scheme of things, the Giants can't let these games start to add up early. And like you mentioned with the bullpen, even though it's one game, you can't take a whole bunch from it, but you have to be vigilant. Yeah, I, I think only time will tell. And to be realistic here, I think this Giant, this is a Giants team that got better last year, was one game out of the playoff spot last year. But in the grand scheme of things, they're not better but than the Padres. They're not better than the Dodgers, and it's not close. So it's going to be very difficult for the Giants to even push for a wild card, I would argue, because you got the Mets slash Braves, whoever doesn't win that division in the East. Then you include a Phillies team that's still very competitive. You include a Nationals team that plans to compete, a Brewers team that plans to compete. All three of those teams are probably on the same level, if not better, and probably better than the Giants right now. So I think for the Giants right now, it's sort of say goodbye to the past. It was very cool to see Buster Posey hit a home run in his first at-bat, by the way, yesterday off Marco Gonzalez. A good pitch, too, a cutter on the inside corner. Posey, for those of you that don't know, opted out last year due to health reasons. I believe he adopted uh, two kids so he wanted to make sure that they were safe and so forth and spend some time with them which was really cool uh, but he comes back for the first time in over a year hits a home run in his first at bat very cool then you got your Brandon Belts your Brandon Crawfords and so forth Johnny Cueto uh, as well I think for the Giants right now it's sort of the grand finale with that core from the 2010, 12, and 14 teams and sort of moving into the future with your Mikey Yastrzemski's and so forth. They have Luciano coming up in a couple years as well. They have a farm system that they're building and that they believe is they're very confident in. So it's they're almost in limbo right now. They're not a terrible team by any means, but they're not good enough. But I think it's a transition phase for them right now. So these games at the end of the day, I don't think there's too much pressure on them. Um, before we switch here, I wanted to talk about Kevin Gosman a little bit because it's a very, very interesting story. I had been a guy who's very dependable with the Orioles in the past, but then heads over to the Giants in 2020 and is really transformed. They had to make a couple adjustments. The fastball velocity was up to 95, 96, and really put up a good year last year that earned him a qualifying offer that was about $18 million. I think people forget about that because, look, who remembers that Kevin Gosman was this good last year. Uh, he had like a 3-6 ERA, I believe, uh, which is really respectable. Again, it was a smaller sample size, a 3-6-2 ERA and 59 and two-thirds of an innings pitch. But in those 59 and two-thirds of an inning, 79 strikeouts. So that K rate was very high. And I think they you know, plan on him to ride that going into 2021 as well. And maybe a guy that they see 
playing big role going into the future here, and he continued it last night with six and two-thirds of an innings pitched and one-run ball. It was really dominant. The Mariners were not looking comfortable at the plate. It was doing a really good job changing speeds, high fastball at the top of the strike zone, 95 to 96. And then the third time through the order, started mixing in a changeup. The Mariners were incredibly off-balance. It didn't look like they had a chance. And I think if it's later in the season and his arm's in a little bit better shape, he probably rides that thing into the seventh or eighth inning. Um, I agree. He's been great. And you mentioned last year coming off of a great year. And, you know, he really bounced back from 2019 when he had a 5.72 over his season with Atlanta and Cincinnati split time with both clubs. But like you said, it was a small sample size, but it's nice to see um, him for sure bouncing back. And, you know, it seems like he's been around for a while, but he's only 30. So he definitely... Um, has a lot of time left in his career to keep pitching and glad he's doing well. Yeah, and Tommy, going off of that point, I'm going to give you the floor a little bit here. You and I had a lengthy discussion uh, recently about the circumstances in which the New York Yankees lost on opening day. Now, before we get into those circumstances, I'll give you a chance to reflect on that game a little bit. What were some of your thoughts in that game before we dive into what I think will be the majority of our show's debate? Well, the way that the Yankees lost was the same way that the Mariners won. So I don't want to, I want to knock it too much. I but hate the extra innings rule. I don't care that the Mariners <laughs> won. I hate it. I hate it. So we could talk about that, but go on. Tom. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But, you know, while the Yankees lost, I think there were some positives for sure. I mean, Gary Sanchez hitting the first home run of the season for the Yankees. I thought that was great. And he looked good on both sides of the ball, two for three. Uh, two ribbies and a run scored, and then he threw out a runner at second. Um, you know, he really looked good behind the plate, and he was in sync with uh, with Garrett Cole the whole time, and he was another positive for sure. He looked great yesterday, eight strikeouts, and, you know, a couple mistakes, but that's to be expected. It's opening day, first time in front of fans at Yankee Stadium, and, you know, certainly opening day jitters play a factor, but I thought he looked really good in five and a third innings, and, you know, left a lot of runners in scoring position. Uh, 22 runners left on base in the game. And in terms of uh, scoring position, they I think they left nine um, as a team. So, you know, that that's tough, but this is a team that's going to be fine, in my opinion. Um, you know, one through nine, it's a really dominant lineup, especially when the Yankees get back Luke Voigt. But, um, you know, there were some positives, but definitely a tough loss. Yeah, I think it was pretty difficult when you're looking at it, you know, with just opening day on your mind. But I think in the grand scheme of things, the Yankees will be fine. I think there were a lot of positives to come out of that. Garrett Cole looked sharp besides, I think it was the second or third inning where his pitch count ran up a little bit, and I think that's why he only lasted five and two-thirds. But then again, gave up the home run to Teoscar Hernandez. But besides that, it was pretty pretty so far. What, eight or nine strikeouts, uh, which was good to see. But I think the runners in scoring position was the biggest key for the Yankees. They had multiple situations. What, Talkman on third, I know he went on the contact play. I didn't mind that as much. I know people didn't like to see Talkman going on the contact play right there because it was right at uh, the third baseman, Biggio. But I, in my opinion, the way I saw it was is that if he doesn't go, they probably turn a double play to end the inning. So you're just extending that inning. Uh, but I think Aaron Judge was the biggest takeaway. Maybe Stanton as well. Uh, Judge with run- a couple situations came up with the bases loaded. And then also with the and can't run- finish with the glove either. <laughs> Yeah, I think he was playing in with that one, in for that one as well. But at the end of the day, it's one game. I they were booing Giancarlo Stanton. I know he went 0 for 5, but come on now, it's game one. This dude went 
crazy for you in the playoffs last year. Don't let one game judge everything. I know there's a lot of pressure. Tells, on you, tells you about tells you about New York and what they want. <laughs> I, I I just think it's crazy. I look if Stanton in July is hitting a buck seventy. Sure, sure, fine. You're paying him a lot of money, but it's one game. Come on, give the man a break. Give the man a break. At least he's healthy, you know. So I don't know. That would bother me a little bit, but it's just part of the game, and it is what it is. But uh, I think the Yankees will be fine. It was just executing with runners in the scoring position and so forth, which will come over time. And again, I think what happens is when you lose the first game of the season like that, especially where you are stranding a lot of runners in high pressure situations, there's a microscope on you. Because that's all you have. That's all people have to judge. So they start to freak out a little bit. No pun intended right there, by the way. But that's all people have to judge. And I think that's why people are starting to freak out a little bit, per se. I think the Yankees are fine. I really do. Yeah, and before Tommy makes his next point, the other thing that you got to understand is that especially now, and especially considering what could happen next year, this is like, I don't know, it's like the Olympics. Because, honestly... Because last year you get robbed of opening day. With the way negotiations have been happening with the major leagues over the past few months with COVID, the, I'd say my money's on a strike happening next year. Probably. So this could be the first and only opening day that we see in the span of from 2019 all the way through possibly 2023. Oh, goodness. Which Don't basically turns in the same time span of the Olympic Games. where yeah. And you know how hyped up what I'm trying to get at is those moments mean more and opening day all the eyes are on you you know espn they have all their promos and opening day start fresh everyone's zero and zero all those cliches that we love to gush over about but you know you got to put on a show and you're under the bright lights and i think the fact that the yankees in a way failed to do that what a lot of baseball fans unfortunately don't realize is again it's one game out of 162 this isn't the nfl where you lose week one and suddenly you're in desperate situation and you need to claw it back and start making something happen. It's a long season, one game out of 162. And given that, um, and given that, excuse me, I'm going to talk about one thing that I think is going to be a thorn in our side for the next four to five months. And that is the extra inning rule. <laughs> the Yankees lost because of it. The Mariners benefited from it, but clearly Max, you're against it based on what you said earlier in the show. I think we're unanimous on this one. But I'm going to let Tommy have the floor first on this because he clearly has a an, an opinion on it. Tommy, your thoughts. <laughs> Why are you putting a guy at second base? It makes no sense to me. You, you want to speed it up? I don't care. I wish the games went 20 innings. It drives <laughs> me up the wall because that's why the Yankees lost. Because you take a look at yesterday. He gives up the double, right? Then they score the run. That's the game-winning run. Nick Nelson, he strikes out the next three batters. That run doesn't score. So, and at the same time, yes, the Yankees do have the same opportunity, but I don't know. I mean, the guy's put on second. The guy that's on second made the final out of the previous inning. What does he do to deserve to be there? He does nothing. It drives me up the wall because Rob just wants to speed up the game, and I don't like it. I hate it. I don't like it either, and I think a lot of the times it feels like you're cheated out of a win. In a way. And again, like you said, the Yankees had an opportunity to tie the game right there. But that run wasn't justified by any means. He was placed on second. It's a ghost runner. And look, I do get speeding up the game. But if you're in extra innings, the game's already going to be long. I'm okay if we get like past the 13th and you want to implement it. Because exactly. sure, that's when it starts to get a little excessive. But come on. 
it's the 10th inning. The Yankees were very much in that game, whether you believe it or not. I know the offense was struggling, but then Randall Gritchick muscles a ball over Aaron Judge's head. And again, like Tommy said, if Nick Nelson strikes up the next three batters like he did, scoreless inning, we're probably going to the 11th after that, assuming the Yankees had the same result. The thing that's always interesting to me, too, is you don't have to get a base hit to score a run in that situation. You could hit a ground ball to third base. You could get sawed off and hit a soft fly ball to right field. The sack fly or the run scores on a sack fly. You strike out the next batter. Literally, a pitcher sets down the lineup in order, one, two, three, without giving up a base runner, and a run still scores. That exactly. sucks. And it's I get so it. Situational baseball is fun, and it's forcing high-pressure situations. baseball. It is in a way because it's a runner on second and it forces you to make decisions. Do you want to bunt here or, okay, no, let's hit a ground ball to the right side at the very least, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. But it's forcing high-pressure situations, which I think is a good thing in many ways, but it's a fake, false, phony high-pressure situation. And that's what I don't like about it. I really don't. And even though the Mariners benefited from it yesterday, it still wasn't fun. I saw it yesterday in the 10th inning and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I hate this. And that's what they pick over the universal DH. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Rob Manfred? Come on. Like, this is terrible. No, I agree with you there. I mean, it's it's just incredibly frustrating. And I don't know. It. I had a thought, and then I forgot my thought. But It's just so frustrating, uh, it, you know? It's, it's incredibly frustrating because, oh, I know what I was going to say. It's to attract the non-baseball fans, right? And because they know that fans like us... We're going to be there no matter what. We're going to be tuning in every night. But they're trying to attract other people and they're changing the game. And I don't want to say ruining it, but they're hurting the experience for fans like us that enjoy it the way it is. And But no, I agree with you. I think you start 12th, 13th inning, it's fine. Because, you know, at that point, you know, it's starting to get a little long. But um, no, I don't know. I just hate the rule in general. I think we should get rid of it, but... Yeah, and I agree with both of you guys, and I'm going to go on a little, uh, not a tangent here, but you look at every other sport. College football, each team starts at the 25-yard line, and they each get a chance to score. And now you could say that's similar to what this extra inning rule is in baseball. In hockey, we see three-on-three overtime. But my argument there is the circumstances are completely different because in three-on-three overtime – it's three on three. Everything starts even, and it's there's no free pass because at the end of regulation, each team removes two skaters, obviously barring a penalty or anything insane like that, and then you start fresh, and everything is earned. Same with college football. Each team starts at the 25, and everything is earned. You mentioned the idea of things not being earned. I agree. That runner on second, what did the pitcher do to deserve that? Like... I think that that's not the way you speed up the game. I think, like you said, if you move it to the 12th, 13th, 14th inning, then maybe it's okay. We see the NHL in the regular season. They go to a shootout to keep games short, and we see in the playoffs for hockey that those games can last hours. I was once up until 3 o'clock in the morning watching a Blackhawks overtime game that went until, I forget how many overtimes, must have been three or four uh, in the conference finals, and I wasn't bored. But again, I am the biggest sports nerd anyone can ever meet and but going back to baseball I think you don't do that these teams are good enough and they're good enough where one team is going to score a run prior to the 12th or 13th inning especially when you get to the back end of the bullpen and even in the National League 
when those batters are, or those pitchers, excuse me, you're gonna have to come up to bat. And I think that it's just not a good look for the game. It's a little league rule. It's a little league rule. I hate to be blunt. I hate to be that way, but if you're going to put the runner on second base, then let's start a snack list and a drink list <laughs> and, you know, have a list of restricted snacks, the healthy snacks, whose mom is bringing snacks the, which day. Like, it, it's I, like <laughs> ridiculous. It, it, you know what's funny about that is some people might think you're – you're just using exaggeration right there. No, it literally is I'm little not. league rule. It literally is a little league rule. Uh, you know the California tiebreaker. And honestly, I don't mind it from a perspective. Like it's still major league baseball to me. It is what it is. What bothers me is the fact that I don't like the fact that a team has to lose a game because that runner was placed on. And like Matt said, you didn't earn it. And this is coming from someone who just won a game from it two days ago. It bothers me a lot. The thing that bothers me even more, and I alluded to it, you guys, is why is this the rule that they're prioritizing over the universal DH? I understand the collective bargaining agreement, and in the negotiations, Manfred is trying to use the universal DH to get the expanded postseason and so forth. The players don't want that because that would hurt them in financial negotiations and so forth. But come on. Are we be, like realistically here? The universal DH is so much more impactful for baseball from an entertainment standpoint. And if Tommy, like Tommy said, if you're trying to attract fans who don't like baseball currently, putting a DH in there, extending the careers of the Marcelo Zunas and the Nelson Cruzes and so forth, and not having you Darvish stand up there and watch three fastballs go right past him, right down the middle for three strikes, and then he's out, is so much, so much more impactful. I think. You know, I think. Pitchers hitting is what taking that out is well overdue, and I understand it's a tradition, and I know it's something that you like, Matt. But if you're going to try and expand this game to a younger generation, offense is the key, and you're you're destroying offense by having pitchers hit, in my opinion. And it's such a simple move, and it's disappointing that Manfred and the Major League Baseball owners crew, and then you could say the Players Association too, are using it as a bargaining tool right now, and that's the problem. It's not because they don't think it's a good idea. I can guarantee you it's because of money, and that's what's so frustrating, and they throw this rule in, and they're going to argue yeah. that it's better, and it's not. It's it's terrible. Yeah, Max, I'm going to contradict myself here a little bit. Okay. I am always a fan of pitcher sitting. I grew up a National League fan. I'm still a National League fan. Like, I think the fact that pitchers hit, I saw the first double switch in nearly a year on opening day, and it was the best feeling in the world. Like, you see those lineup cards get all dirty, and it's great. I love it. However, when it comes to sacrificing rules, I think that if you're going to pick one to keep over the other, I think the universal DH needs to stay, and this tiebreaker rule needs to go. And not even juxtaposing against it, like, Seeing people hit and extending careers, I think that's awesome. And that's one of the reasons why I think the universal DH should exist. Because I can deal with losing the strategy, even though it will break my heart. I can deal with losing the strategy if it means that we get rid of any of these other bogus rules. Because can you imagine the last day of the regular season, two teams going for a playoff spot, and that game goes into extra innings? Yeah. Like it's basically a, basically a playoff game. It's a playing game based on the standings. And can you imagine just because it's the regular season that a team goes to the playoffs because they hit a bunt down the right side and then a sack fly? 
Yeah, and you know what's interesting, too? I, I, they took it out of the playoffs last year. They did it in the regular season, of course, and then the playoffs, uh, they eliminated it. And, you know, I'm fine with this rule in a COVID season where it's a 60-game season. This is a so normal, this but is the, a normal exactly, season. Exactly. This is a normal say. season. But number two, <laughs> this is so hypothetical, but what if we get a game 163, which is the closest game to a wild-card game that you can get that is, is still a regular, regular season. season? Exactly. And then are they going to use those rules? And you're telling me, let's say the Padres and Dodgers are playing a 163 tiebreaker to, de- to decide who's going to the wild-card game and to decide who's winning the division, and it's going to be decided on with the extra innings rule in play? That would be so disappointing. And honestly, from a winning perspective, again, a win's a win. You know, I'll take whatever I could get. If I'm a Mariners fan, if we clinch a playoff spot because of that, it is what it is. But it's going to be bittersweet in a way. I'm going to be like, wow, okay, we did we really earn that? And technically speaking, yes, but I want to earn it the right way. And I think most fans would agree with that. And it's tough to watch. And it, the one thing I will argue, in a way, is it with the snap of a fingers puts you in a high-pressure spot and there's that adrenaline running, but it's almost like fake high pressure because it's not real there's some there's sort of a charm to hitting that double getting fired up because of it the energy starts to rise and then that double coming around to score versus all of a sudden with no context all of a sudden there's someone on second base it doesn't feel legitimate it doesn't feel authentic and that takes away from from pitching imagine from a pitching perspective like in my opinion i don't know if you're talking about this in the offensive perspective or from a pitching perspective you know you and I, in the Yankees' case, I'm not sure if uh, Nelson pitched the previous inning, but um, even if he, even if he didn't, you come out and you haven't done anything wrong per se, and you see these pitchers. And I don't know if you're repeating what you just said now on second thought, but these pitchers come in, they give up the double, and then it's like, okay, it's go time. Like I need to give my best stuff right here, right now. It it, it seems not natural because they don't give it up. And yeah. then you're and like, I, okay, I haven't done anything wrong. So, like, what, what situation the, are we in? I What I would say is it's like a pitcher inheriting a runner on second and nobody out situation, which does happen. Pitchers will come in in those but moments. Then you're, but then you're also watching the game and you're like, okay, That's this what guy I was gonna is say. going to make me a difficult time. What's different here is that you don't see it happen. And I feel like, well... It doesn't sound like it would play a big role. I feel like it does. Watching from the bullpen, all of a sudden, you see the go-ahead run onto second base after a big double. It starts to turn on versus you're coming in. You know, I'm sure Nick Nelson knew the runner was going to be on second base, but did he feel like that until the inning started? I don't know. I don't know, and we'll never know. I I personally think they should take the pitcher into the batting tunnel and have uh, one of the guys who's already out of the game or someone who's scratched from the lineup just go to the batting tunnel and simulate a double run around, uh, pimp it up. Who knows? Maybe that'll help the pitchers and make them watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's so hard. I don't know how you can make it feel authentic besides, besides just doing it enough times. I think if they continue this rule, it'll start to become more of a normality and pitchers will be more used to it. I think right now it might be it, a little bit It doesn't bit matter. Whatever they do, it's not going to be a normal. It's not going to be normal. It, it's t- never going to be normal. Like it's normal. It, it, it's normal when you go to the, Little League feel on a Saturday and, uh, you know, you got the lawn chairs and the orange slices because they want to keep the game moving. And I mean, by that logic, by that logic, why don't we have coaches pitch when it gets to 3-0? and I mean, what I do mean you we're think... already halfway there. I, let me ask you this. The shift is normal, right? It was strange at first. Now the shift's normal. I'm sure the DH was a little strange at that's, first. That's strategy. That's strategy. This isn't strategy. 
Like, like you see, like in every sport, you look at. I, I don't mean to keep going off baseball. You look at football and the way the offense has taken over the game the past few years. There's strategy going left, right, and center. There's trick plays left, right, and center. Baseball, same thing. Strategy will evolve. However, when you force something like this, it's not going to become natural. It's just not. And again, like I mentioned, like, and I could probably come up with a million other little league rules. What are we going to have as well? You can only like you can't lead off. Little league can't lead off. Or what are we going to do? Back in T-ball, when the coach tells me to go back to first base, when the fielder started picking grass and didn't realize that the ball was hitting his direction, I could have gotten inside the park home run. I gotten inside the park home run there. I earned it because the right fielder was picking grass and didn't realize the ball was there. The coach went into right field and threw the ball in and called the play dead, and I got sent back to first base. Well, it sounds like this anger goes a little that? deeper than the. Again? Sounds like it goes a little deeper than the extra inning rule here, man. But I it, see... it spreads. It spreads. This could all wind up anything. This could all wind up <laughs> dominoing. Like it could be terrible. Oh my goodness! It's going to be the Little League World Series. That's that's what's going to be this summer. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's honestly, grass, watching that burns in center field and have the cardboard. Like, like honestly, really. watching that Giants Mariners game on Thursday night was like watching the Little League World Series. I'll tell you that. But <laughs> so many walks, <laughs> errors, but. Realistically, here I don't think, you know, I don't think it's to the point where I would compare it to little league, even though it is technically a little league rule. But it just feels wrong. That's what I don't like about it. It doesn't feel like baseball, and that's the biggest piece to me. And again, I think over time, if they keep it, I definitely think it will become a normality. I really do. If they continue this rule for two, three years, all of a sudden people will be ready for it. They'll know it. But think about this: when you, Tommy. Did you know that there was going to be a runner on second base going into the 10th inning of that game on Thursday? Did you? Because that's the interesting question. For me, it caught me off guard when I saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. And that's what made it worse for me. Were you expecting it? I was expecting it. I was talking to my dad on the phone, and I said in the ninth, we got to score here because we don't want to deal with that stupid extra inning rule. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I was ready. But, no, I remember the first time the Yankees um, had an extra inning game in 2020. I believe it was against the Mets. And I completely forgot about it. And uh, when I think Luke Voigt or somebody hit a single and uh, and we won. And I didn't even realize we won. Like I was like, oh, it's great. But, uh, no, I mean, it's very strange because, you know, Extra innings prior to uh, 2020, they were my favorite part of the game. Every time I went to a game, I was hoping we'd go into extras, and Mr. Manfred's taking it away, but we'll see. I mean, it's not no, set I, in stone Mr. right Man, now. If you don't want to take away the late-game situation, then I don't know. Here's a crazy idea, and I could be the biggest hypocrite here, but why don't innings one, two, th- one, two and three, every, uh, every inning it starts with a runner on second. That way we could just get it out of the way. <laughs> then there's going to be that would make the games longer that would make the games longer <laughs> here's my thing i understand that you want the games to end quicker when they go to extra innings but the thing that i was thinking about is if we're going into extra innings for a game we're already it's already a long game like people exactly. the people who are going to stay are going to be they're, they're separate you know i don't think you're going to gain too and people many already bought their tickets people aren't going to buy tickets you can't even heck you could sneak in you can sneak in to the, Not with to COVID, the ballpark but... <laughs> normal times. You can sneak into the ballpark in like the 10th inning. No one's going to catch you. Let's sneak into Wrigley Field. Let's do it. Like, exactly. Are you trying to throw away money? Because, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. The tickets are already paid. Like, My point people is. People are going to go to games regardless. If you're already there or you're already watching, 
And let's say that they implement this rule. Let's push it back to the 13th because I think that's more realistic and I think that's more justifiable. I would be okay with that. And it's extra innings. You're still going to probably watch the 10th, maybe the 11th. But how many people are still watching at that point anyway? I understand baseball. True baseball fans who know what's going on. That's my point. And I think you already had your major, the, the peak value or the peak viewership was probably some point in the fourth, fifth, or sixth inning. It's probably not in the 10th or 11th inning anyway. So why do you have to get it done with quickly uh, is my question. And again, if it gets to the point where it's too long, sure, implement it. But 10th inning, that's still a very, very important time in the game. And I would, this should be a last resort rule, in my opinion. It shouldn't be what they're going to is their first resort. No, I'm with you there for sure, Max. I agree. And uh, yeah, I think that it's much better to have it later in the game. And like you said, fans like us, we're going to be watching the whole game. Some of my favorite nights have been one of my favorite games I ever watched. I remember was a Yankees Red Sox game that went. 18 innings and I watched the whole thing and the Yankees lost which was tough but it was just great I mean the back and forth and you know I mean we'll see I I'm not sure do you guys think this will be forever because I don't necessarily think it'll be it'll definitely be a topic of discussion at the next CBA but I don't know I'm certainly hoping it's not a forever thing I think the good Uh, news is for people that don't like it is the reception from the fans, at least from what I've seen on social media, is that they don't like it. Um, but then again, if it helps the players out, if the players like it, if the players don't want to be playing for a long period of time, I think that might be the priority. But if I'm a relief pitcher, at least, I don't like this rule at all. Um, obviously, if you're an offensive player, you know you probably do like it. But I don't know. It's very hard. I think this is definitely sort of an experiment, which you don't want to see during a full 162-game season. Why not try this maybe in the minor leagues beforehand, right? But it is what it is. Well, we it's have... also the idea. It doesn't, also, it doesn't look good in the scorebook. I hate to sound like an old-school fan here, but how do you put that in a scorebook? Like, if the guy <laughs> makes the last out in the inning, and then he technically gets on base and then we'll score the run i'm sure there's a way to it and i'm sure if i look at the yankees or mariners box score that i could see how they actually decided to do it but it's not the fact that they know how to do it it's the fact that it looks terrible if you're keeping an old-fashioned scorebook because it just it it looks like you don't know what you're doing well like let's say like like the scorebook has a natural flow to it literally like one guy makes the last out in the inning the next guy starts it and it goes so on and so forth. It's a nice and constant line, up and down, up and down as the innings go along. It's nice and neat, nice and pretty. You can read it. It looks good. But then when you things like this happen, it doesn't look nice anymore because things are butt up against it. I know it's kind of an odd complaint considering this rule, but I think another reason to just get rid of it and answer your question, I think that they need to get rid of this rule ASAP. I don't care if it's the end of this year, if it's next year. I don't care if they use it as a bargaining chip for the CBA one side or another. But, like, there's going to come a point, hopefully. I'm knocking on wood right now. Like, that COVID is a non-factor 100%. Maybe it's this season. Maybe it's next season. Maybe it's the year after. But there's a time where these rules that are meant to handicap the game need to need to leave it's they just need to 
I I think I think what they're probably going to do is is they're going to make a judgment call at the end of this year, at the end of the regular season, or in the off season, because we do have a new CBA coming up, which will be very interesting. That's a whole completely different story, and they'll probably see how the fans received it, how the players and staff received it, and they'll make their decision. And it's their decision to make, and we're going to have to live with whatever decision they make. For those curious, for Alvarez in the Giants case, who gave up the walk-off walk to Jake Fraley that brought in Evan White to score, it was an unearned run. So he gets a run on his stat line, but it's just unearned. For White, I do believe he gets a run scored as well, uh, which is That's a true definition of an unearned run. Take it literally. <laughs> literally an unearned run, uh, which is disappointing. You know, and the Giants lost that game. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. If there wasn't any rule right there, Alvarez, his command was atrocious in that inning. Um, so he's probably – he threw four strikes of 16 pitches. So he's probably going to walk the bases loaded and walk in a run anyway or, you know, finally find the zone but leave a fastball over the middle of the dish and whoever's up, Fraley, uh, Crawford, I don't care. Whoever's up in that situation maybe gets a base hit, sack fly or whatever. The run probably scores anyway. But that's – a much easier 10th inning to watch, I feel like, versus if you're a Giants fan right there, you already know that Alvarez is struggling. You already know that your bullpen's struggling. Why do, we have to make it, why do we have to make it harder by putting an unjustifiable base runner on second base? Ugh, you know, in, in hindsight, again, I'll say it one more time, a broken record. I don't mind the high-pressure situation. And, in fact, I think if you're Rob Manfred in baseball right now, Major League Baseball as a whole, you want to – sort of force and implement more high-pressure situations because that's what's going to attract more fans. But to me, this seems like – it doesn't seem like a real high-pressure situation, and that's why ultimately I don't like it, and I hope it doesn't last, but we'll just have to ride it out and see. Yeah, yeah. I I think that we've all made our points with that, and with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break before we look ahead to today's slate of ball games that's the beauty about baseball games every single day including a very interesting slate here today many teams making their first appearance since opening day they had yesterday off so stick around right here on bic bic radio is the voice of ithaca college here's a campus organization you can get involved in want to help bring a little more love to your campus community I see Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. Hey besties, if you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio, or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding healthcare. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow icgenerationaction on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? 
email community at vicradio.org to connect with the campus community involvement director. Welcome back to On the Mount here on VIC Radio. You just heard a, a heated discussion about the extra inning rule, but there's a lot of baseball going on, as and as uh, the lines goes, there's no crying in baseball. So we're going <laughs> to move on and talk about some games going on here later today. And looking at some of the schedule, guys, plenty of games to go around. Who is your lock today to win? Tommy, let's start with you. For me, it's got to be the Yankees. Corey Kluber making his Yankee debut looked very impressive during the spring, and I think he's going to continue it here today, uh, facing off against Ross Stripling of the Blue Jays. And, you know, as we mentioned in the previous segment, Blue Jays took the first game of this series back on opening day. And, you know, I think the Yankees lineup's going to bounce back. Only two runs. Uh, Gary Sanchez was the only bright spot in that one. So. I definitely think you're going to see Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and that whole lineup come out ready to go and uh, get their first win of the season here. Definitely. Okay, so I had a lot of interesting games I liked here, but I'm going to pick this Twins and Brewers game. and I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the Brewers. I think a lot of people were sleeping on them coming into this year, had a dramatic walk-off win on Thursday in which they came back both in the ninth and 10th innings. Excuse me. They're going to have Corbin Burns on the mound, who is a really big bright spot for the Brewers back in 2020 implemented a cutter into his game uh, and it transformed him as a pitcher was one of the really sneaky good stories last year in Major League Baseball and I think he's going to continue to carry that Woodruff and Burns at the top of that rotation is very very underlooked and is very very good I would argue one of the two best one-two punches in all of baseball uh, he'll be facing Jose Barrios who again is a very very good pitcher as well don't get me wrong and the Twins offense is very good I think it actually probably is definitely better than the Brewers right now but I think Burns is going to dominate in this ball game and help out this Brewers offense as hopefully they could score two or three runs for them and keep this going and then he'll pass it off to again one of the best bullpens in baseball when you have Josh Hader Devin Williams in the back end um, and Freddie Peralta as well and Brett Suter and so those four guys will have a day off uh, who had a day off yesterday will be all rested so I'm gonna go with the Brewers in that one yeah, Max I'm gonna stick in the same division there for the Brewers and go with this uh, interdivision matchup between the Cubs and the Pirates, and my lock is the Cubs because I honestly think the opening day jitters are going to go away. The fact that on opening day they only had two hits against an inferior Pittsburgh team. Cabrian Hayes, however, did have a good game for the Pirates. Kyle Hendricks' command was terrible. The bullpen's command was terrible. The offense, other than the fact that they could get runners on third and hit sacrifice flies, was, wait for it, terrible. So <laughs> I think that the Cubs have a good bounce-back game. Jake Arrieta is making his first start in his second stint in a Cubs jersey, and I'm hoping for some sort of a friendliness at the friendly confines for Mr. Arrieta. He pitched his best seasons, in my opinion, and also on the stat sheet at Wrigley Field and in a Cubs jersey, so hopefully when he throws number 49 back on, he'll be able to make some noise and defeat Pittsburgh and the Cubs, get out of whatever they were in on a opening day. Yeah, and I think the Cubs will be fine, too. Again, I totally understand. That's a difficult game to watch when you only muster two hits, and they had the bases loaded in the first inning. I'll give Jock some credit. He hit the ball on the screws right there, but unfortunately uh, was right at the left fielder. Uh, but I think they will bounce back as well. And You know, it's a young Pirates team, a brand-new revamped Pirates team that, again, is 
well, well, well away from contention right now. And I think the Cubs will be able to take advantage of that. If I'm Jake Arrieta right here too, it's a great way to start the season. Uh, obviously has struggled mightily the last couple of years here. Hopefully he could get off to a good start and set a good uh, tone here against a really young and I'll say weak Pirates team because uh, this is a big year for him, I think. I think he really does want to bounce back. I mean, obviously who won it, but I think he legitimately can. He's in a more comfort uh, situation. He has David Ross as his manager back, who again was his catcher back when he was dominant dominating in his Cy Young self. So that would definitely will be an interesting one to watch. Um, you know, another one too, the series that I think is not getting enough attention and is really good, one of the best, and it will be on Sunday Night Baseball, so that's really what it will be in the limelight, is the Angels and the White Sox. They played a tremendous game on opening day, you guys. I don't know if you had a chance to catch it because it was so late at night, uh, but the White Sox led this game for the majority 3-1, to one, but the Angels really battled back. Uh, tremendous ABs, the late inning or late innings of that ball game. Justin Upton working a really long at-bat 7-8, or I think it was an 11-pitch at-bat, excuse me, to load the bases, and Albert Pujols would drive in the go-ahead run on a fielder's choice. Mike Chow coming up with a big hit as well. Rysel Iglesias, their newly acquired closer from the Reds, was tremendous too. Dylan Bundy was really good. I think this is an Angels team that, again, has a lot of question marks, but and again, it's one game. But they, if they could if they could ride this to the majority of the season right here, and if their bullpen, I think, is one of the biggest question marks, if their bullpen can step up here, I know they went out and got Tony Watson and Steve Ciszek. I don't know how much that changed that. But they have Myers from last year who was really good in a small sample size too. Uh, Rodriguez, who was a bright spot this spring. They have a lot of guys that can contribute here and I think could really, really help this Angels team shine for the first time really since 2014 when they last made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, Max, I I agree with you. I don't think this series is uh underlooked whatsoever. I have my eye on this game all night long, and partially because I'm in many uh, text chats and uh, communication modes with a lot of White Sox fans oh, being from the true. North Side of Chicago, and uh, they always, you know, when they were doing well after the Cubs uh, bit the dust against Pittsburgh earlier in the day, they figured it's their one chance at trash talk, so they might as well take advantage <laughs> of it. And it wind up, it didn't wind up working, but it was a huge bummer for the White Sox. No pun intended there. Obviously, the <laughs> pitcher uh, tagged with the loss for the uh, Southsiders, Aaron Bummer. But not nonetheless, there I think that overall, it's going to be a, an interesting series to watch, especially uh, later today and heading into Sunday Night Baseball. I think that. Clearly, Eloy, his injury impact in this team, I'm not going to get into how they, for lack of a better word, honored him a little bit of a stretch, in my opinion. There's some there's some ways that you honor people that, you know, if they're still living and still healthy and everything is all right in the world, that I think the White Sox, in my opinion, took that a little too far. Obviously, a tragic injury to Eloy. And when I say tragic, you know, from a baseball standpoint, barring anything that I don't know, uh, uh, Peck should uh, feel just fine in the grand scheme of life. So I think, you know, maybe the White Sox a little too hung up on that. But nonetheless, uh, both teams came to play. And how poetic is it that Pujols contributes in his last opening day? Definitely. And what a tremendous career. You know, I it's disappointing to see. Obviously, the lower half has really been an issue for him um, in terms of durability and health can't run nearly as fast anymore not that he was fast before but really can't run now and a ground ball off the bat of pools is basically an automatic out uh, but he's still contributing you know I don't know if he's going to be able to catch up to A-Rod at 696 in terms of the home run total but uh, he's passed Mays already and hopefully he can climb on that one a little bit as well it's really a tremendous career and it's sad to see it take such a turn 
but uh, he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. So yeah, watch some Angels games because it's probably going to be the last time you'll get to see Albert Pujols unless some unexpected extension or he somehow finds a way to play uh, after 2021. But realistically speaking, I think this is probably the year he will retire. Um, but uh, tremendous in career, career indeed. Um, you know who was really good on Thursday as well, you guys, was Tyler Glass now. Now, it was a Marlins offense that I think is a little bit shaky, even though they did make the playoffs last year. I think Tyler Glass is absolutely a Cy Young favorite this year, and he dominated six innings of just one hit, six strikeouts, no walk, no walks, excuse me. And then Kevin Cash was able to hand it off to that dominant bullpen where they pitched three shutout innings and picked up the win for the Marlins, one nothing. Um, so that'll be an interesting game to follow as well for a Rays team that I think people are underestimating a little bit too. Yeah, I think those are some uh, good points about a couple series to watch this weekend. And now segueing a series that a lot of us would have loved to watch. I know uh, the guy sitting in the room across the way from me would have absolutely been over the moon to see but unfortunately uh as a uh, Faye vincent said in 1989 there will be no baseball in uh, washington for opening weekend and unfortunate situation due to covid the mets national series being postponed uh, obviously uh slippery slope when it comes to this in terms of talking about it what are some of your thoughts on this set getting canceled uh, certainly very difficult for mets fans right but you know, I guess the one good thing for them is that they can, you know, enjoy the Francisco Lindor extension for a little while. And, uh, you know, but no, that's very difficult. In terms of the Nationals, uh, certainly hope that everybody's okay there. Um, definitely scary anytime that happens. But, um, you know, I'm sure they'll get through it and hopefully the, the Mets can start up soon and same the Nationals. But, yeah, it's disappointing for fans of those teams and certainly those players you know they want to get out there um you know everybody's ready to get going but hopefully they can start up soon yeah it was really disappointing especially after such an encouraging spring training in terms of uh, COVID cases obviously very everyone very healthy throughout the majority of spring training uh, a lot of guys getting vaccinated as well uh, you know it's very similar to what happened last year with Juan Soto just hours before opening day uh, I think it was the right move to postpone it you want to be safe you don't want this to snowball and spread around the league especially because it seems like every other team has been very diligent about following the rules not that the Nationals weren't Mike Rizzo their GM did say that he doesn't believe any Nationals players broke a broke precaution or regulations or anything like that but uh it's definitely really disappointing especially for the Mets you know you signed Francisco Lindor to that huge 10-year extension 341 million dollars and all of a sudden you're going to be playing opening day the next day you're going to get to see Lindor take his first official Mets at bat and then that gets postponed and we really don't know when they will return. As of now, we are recording this on Thursday, or excuse me, Friday, uh, April 2nd. So there hasn't been any news yet besides the fact that the series has been postponed. Uh, but you got to hope the Mets can get back on the field too. And you really have to hope that the Nationals can get healthy again because they're a fun team that's looking to compete too. And you never want to see a team go down like this. And hopefully, hopefully uh, everyone stays healthy and there can be a quick recovery and we can get back to playing baseball soon. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Max, in that first set for the Mets scheduled for uh, this Monday, April the 5th uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, the Mets have already designated Jacob deGrom to no surprise as their uh, quote-unquote opening day starter for the guys from Queens. But now shifting over to Washington, we've been going through this a year. And even though this season is as normal as possible, COVID's still an issue. 
what do you think? And I, I, even though Washington as of now has not broken any protocols, but as a general statement, this sort of stemming from Washington, how harsh do you think a potential punishment should be if a team is caught breaking protocols? I think it should be harsh. I don't know what it would be, but we're past the point now where, all right, it was one mistake. The Marlins made mistakes last year. They were inexcusable. I think, you know, a punishment was just worthy or was justifiable there in that case as well. But uh, we're past that point now. It's been a year. We saw what happened last year, particularly with Justin Turner at the end of the World Series. There shouldn't be any excuses at this point, especially if they haven't been vaccinated yet. I heard, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I heard, I saw a tweet the other day that said, if players are vaccinated, the precautions will lessen a little bit. They won't be as intense. Uh but uh, if you're not vaccinated yet and it's spreading and the Nationals have the microscope under them now, they better be careful. I think every player should be careful. I think that they hold a lot playing Major League Baseball right now. And the fact not, you know, they're, they could, they're humans. They could do whatever they want. I understand that. But uh, you don't want to spread this around the league because it, is, it does play an impact on safety. And even if the players are in good shape, you still have personnel who are older. You have broadcasters that are older coaches trainers whatever it may be that these players will likely be in contact with and now we have fans in the stands as well you know and even though I think every organization is doing a good job of social distancing those fans for the most part you still have to be very careful so I don't think there are any excuses if you're breaking protocol look if it happens if someone comes in contact with someone or someone's wife or spouse or significant other comes in contact with someone and then they come in contact with the player that unfortunately is probably going to happen at some point and it is what it is that's just life but if they're going out of their way doing something that they know that they shouldn't do there definitely should be a punishment for that yeah i'm i'm completely with you max and as we're just uh running out of time here uh any final thoughts heading into the first full week of major league baseball uh, just super excited to keep it going. I mean, it's great to know that we're going to have a full year. And, you know, we talk about everything with COVID. Hopefully we can get through it, you know, without too many cases and outbreaks like last year. But, you know, it's really exciting that we're going to have a full year. And you brought up the, the strike before potentially looming for next year. So we got to enjoy it. I can't wait. I can't wait as well. I'm so happy. Um, hopefully the strike doesn't happen, but... You just never know, and it's not looking bright, I'll tell you that. But we that's a that's a that's a conversation for another time. Let's enjoy baseball going on right now. Let's enjoy that the game is back, fans are back, and we get to watch these guys play every single day because that we are so fortunate now. You know, we we took it for granted a little bit before, uh, but after losing it last year for half the season and then getting a half sixty game season with no fans, um, you know, it's definitely more meaningful to get to see these players play on the field every single day for a full 162-game season. It's really special. So I can't wait for the season to continue here, and hopefully everyone stays safe and we can get a full 162 campaign under our belt. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you guys more. Uh, next week there's going to be a lot of baseball to discuss. Hopefully uh, not a whole lot of uh, incidents impacted by some of the rules still in place, but Regardless, should be a lively discussion, lively show next week as we talk about not only uh, the games going on in Major League Baseball, but as well as the news going on as baseball, an ever-evolving sport, still uh, a potential for some contract extensions, some moves going on. Francisco Lindor extended last week for the Mets, and maybe some more coming this week. So be sure to tune in next week to On the Mound here on VIC Radio.
For Tommy Mua and Max Tanzer, I'm Matt Sosler. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. BIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding health care. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow IC Generation Action on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the campus community involvement director.